0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Jesus has been heading to Jerusalem and he is there now. He's uh, been in the temple, had a confrontation with the religious leaders, and the disciples have, uh, you know, because they're in the temple, asked about the temple and how great it is. And that has led to Jesus telling them plainly. That he will go away, but he will surely return. That was in chapter 24. And now in chapter 25, he is explaining through these three parables what it means for them in the meantime before he returns. How to be ready for his sure return. Now what will happen after this? Jesus is already in Jerusalem. What will happen after this in chapter 26, 27 is... The narrative will push on, the plot will push on and tell us about how Jesus is going to be uh, uh, betrayed, arrested, uh, tried in a kangaroo court and crucified. Okay, So chapter 26, 27, will pick up the narrative of that uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the, the most important days in the history of the world, culminating in Jesus' crucifixion. And then three days later, his resurrection. So this is the last big block of teaching before that, that all that action happens. Okay, and I think it's very deliberate uh, that Matthew has uh, put it this way for us, that Jesus has prepared his disciples this way uh, before uh, all that happens. So we need to ask God to help us to hear clearly, hear attentively what our Lord wants to teach us. So please... Pray with me as we ask for his help. God, we have been reminded that we should never take for granted being able to freely come together to worship you, to hear your word, sing your praise and pray together. So it is such a great mark of your grace to us that you brought us here. Father, we look to you that Please, as we hear your word, as we think and consider what the Lord Jesus is teaching in this chapter, God, that you give us soft hearts. God, that you please uh, forbid that we should have any presumption, presumption that we already know these things, are already doing these things, that there's nothing we need to change. Father, please put your finger on the areas of our lives where we do need to hear. Where these words must challenge us. Father, in uh, mercy, please help us to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the first parable is about a village wedding. And uh, it's called, you know, the parable of the ten virgins. Um, I think it's better to understand that the virgins are like bridesmaids. Lah. Okay, so, they're young women and they're functioning like bridesmaids. And in the culture of the day, the wedding would take place in two locations. So the first part of the wedding, which would be more the ceremonial part, you know, the solemnization, if you like, will take place in the uh, bride's home. Okay, So in the, the home of the bride, they'll have that, a more intimate gathering okay, where uh, the ceremony will take place. Okay, Now, once that is done, then they will head off to the groom's home, okay. And uh, the ten bridesmaids here—they're supposed to get the torches ready because it's supposed to be festive, okay. So as the new couple make their way from the bride's home to the groom's home at night, uh, their friends, you know, will be carrying torches, and you know, there will be this festive procession through the village, you know, heading to the groom's home, where the reception and the wine all this will take place okay so that's the village wedding and in the story the 10 bridesmaids they are waiting okay so we are told five of them are foolish five were wise now the only difference between them is that the wise bridesmaids took extra oil okay now it's it's not as if the, the foolish ones forgot the lambs, forgot their torches, it's just that they didn't have extra. So what was the situation that made uh that you know distinguished the wise from the foolish? Now, if the bridegroom and his party had come promptly, you know, you know, after the ceremony quickly come, and then the all the bridesmaids would have had enough oil for the procession to the groom's home. Now the situation that made the foolish, really foolish, look foolish, is that they were delayed. The groom was delayed, the bride, you know, they were delayed for some reason. Maybe the the best man got carried away, you know. His speech went on, you know, the the father of the bride or whatever was talking, talking, or the pastor gave, you know, really long sermon. For whatever reason, they were delayed at the bride's home. And because of the delay, the five foolish ones who had no extra oil were seen to be foolish. So the the party comes, and then the foolish realize, okay, they're running out of oil. And they ask the, the wise ones, in verse eight, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Now the wise bridesmaids say, No, 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 we can't give you. Now we mustn't think that they are being mean or you know they try to you know oh, get the glory for themselves, because the procession must go on. If they share their oil, then maybe halfway through, before they reach the groom's home, they may run out of, of, of uh, oil and then it become dark. So they need to make sure that they have enough light to get them from bride's home to groom's home. That's why they couldn't share. So they say, okay, you go, go NTUC Finest. You know, it's open 24 hours. Go and buy some more oil. Okay, so when the five foolish ones come back from NTUC, they go to the groom's home, but the groom gives the reply. They say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replies, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Very stark, because Andes, his bridesmaids, Andes, his friends, the ones who were supposed to be you know, lining the street for him, celebrating his wedding, but because they were not ready, because they were not ready for a delay, there is this consequence. They are shut out. Okay, so Jesus is teaching us. He is going to return. And he's teaching his followers, teaching us very clearly here that his return may come at any time. We need to be ready. But his return may come after a long time. Actually, for us in 2018, you know, 2,000 years after, you know, the resurrection of Jesus, it has been a long time. But these words are pertinent to us as well. He could be away for a long time. We can't just, you know... Be ready and, you know, just, just, okay, be alert just for these few years. No, he may be away for a long time. We need to be ready and be prepared for the long haul. Now, what this means for us, I think, as a church practically, is we need to set in place, we need to have some plan for training, equipping the next generation. We cannot just be, okay, you know, yeah, we've got three pastors and that will last me for my lifetime and that's good enough. No, we need to think long term. What if the return of Jesus is delayed for many more generations? What is our responsibility? We need to then think how we can equip the next generation to do the work, to pass on the gospel, to be faithful in their time and for them to pass it on. You know, one of the most striking verses for me in the New Testament is where Paul says to Timothy, you know, the things that you have learned from me and trust to faithful and reliable men who then will be able to teach others. Now, if you look at that verse, there's four generations involved over there. Okay, So, the Lord's return may be delayed we must be ready in case he doesn't come back soon and what does that mean for us as individuals what does that mean for us as a church we need to be ready in case he is delayed now the next two parables will go into more detail about what it means to be ready what what does it look like to be ready how to get ready how to be ready how to watch how to keep watch so that when we are ready and prepared when Jesus truly returns. So the second parable is using the story of a master going on a journey, and he calls his servants, and you can see in the verses, to one servant, he gives five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag. Now in your translations that's in front of you, you may see that instead of bags of gold, you may have the word talents. Okay, so some of you have the word talents. Now, that is an unfortunate translation. Okay, it's unfortunate. It's not wrong, it's just unfortunate. Now, the word that Matthew uses here is a word that denotes a certain amount of weight. Okay, so... um, the, the I know the Marymount Bible study group calculated okay according to this weight okay whatever it is uh and you know of gold the equivalent to Singapore terms one talent one bag of gold would be about two million sing dollars is it ah two okay, okay two million sing dollars okay give and take so okay, it's not a small sum. Okay? Now the reason why the word talent is unfortunate is because When English speakers see the word talent, we think about, you know, being able to play the guitar, being able to dance, you know, being able to do maths really well. Right, we think of talents, you know, juggling, you know, three balls and then five balls and then, you know, on a unicycle, you know, know, different talents. Yeah, so as you can see, the story here is about how two of the servants were faithful. And they multiplied their talents. And then the third servant, you know, he didn't do anything with his talents, with his talent. Now this has led, you know, some Christians to have the idea that, oh, I've been given the gift of singing. Or I've been given the gift of, you know, playing the guitar. I need to really cultivate this talent. I really need to maximize these talents you know i you know i can can sing well i can dance i can act you know god has given me these talents he wants me to do something with them and so it has led christians to pursue that music career that singing career that acting career thinking that yes i've been given this talent i've got to nurture it i got to maximize it that's why i say it is an unfortunate translation okay so banish you know, the word talent uh, from your mind. Just think okay, it's a huge amount of money. Uh, bags of gold is a great translation. Okay, so, um, the two faithful servants, they took the money, the assets that were given to them, and they invested it, they worked it. I mean, there wasn't a stock market then, but maybe they bought over some businesses, they bought more cows, and you know, the cows gave birth, or whatever. So, they put the money to use. And so that when the master returned, the one with the five bags and the one with the two bags, they came up, look at look at the way they they they, they come up and, and you can sense that they are eager. They are happy to see the master return and they want to tell the master, Hey look, 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 look what I've done with it. I mean it's a bit like you know, sometimes when I come home and then Adonis is at the door and he's made some great Lego creation. And then he, he wants to show me, you know, he, he wants to show me what he spent his afternoon doing. Daddy, daddy, look, you see this speedboat that I make. You know, wow, then he's got this thing. And then, yeah, because he's happy to see me home. He wants to show me what he's done. And so you get the sense that these servants, uh, you know, Mr. Fivebacks, Mr. Twobacks, they they have been, you know, investing and working and laboring. Surely, to increase, you know, five talents, five bags, to you know another five. You know, it takes work. Uh, you don't just, you know, uh, it it takes real work. And they've been looking forward to this day when the master will return and they can show the master, see what I've done. And there's a delight to show the master how they have been faithful with what they've been entrusted. And the way the master replies. Now, even though one servant got five, one servant got two, and one servant multiplied it to ten, the other servant only multiplied it to four, the way the Master replies them is exactly the same. Okay, so we mustn't, we mustn't get hung up, and I think, I know I do, that yes, some have been given more. You know, some have been entrusted more by the Lord Jesus, and then sometimes I know, I, like you know, just recently Pastor Andrew said, "Hey, you know, this friend of ours, hey, his preaching has really improved. You know, wow, his preaching is so good now." But my instinctive thought is, "Oh, then what? What about mine? Do, do you got anything to say to me too?" You know, it's like you know, because that 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 instinctive inherent need to compare is so. Ingrained in us. Okay, but the the point here is that it is according to the master's wisdom. He's given some more, some different amounts, but the the mandate, the call, our responsibility is to be faithful with what we have been each entrusted. I mean it's very easy for me, right, to go, oh, how come this guy can sing And then he can preach so well, and I only got average preaching abilities. I mean, my only gift is that I look good. You know, like, why? Why I've been giving so little, I can't sing, I'm tone deaf. You know, when I say amen, 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 the cry room cringe, you know. Like, you know why? Some people get more, some people get less. But the story of uh, Charles Spurgeon's grandfather uh, encourages me. Charles Spurgeon's uh, grandfather... Uh, like his grandson, uh, also a preacher and he was preaching in a pulpit and then uh, Charles Spurgeon came in and at that time Charles Spurgeon, even though he was young had already made a name for himself as a great preacher and so when you know, Charles Spurgeon came in his grandfather said, ah, here comes my grandson the great preacher Charles Spurgeon he can preach the gospel better than me. But he cannot preach a better gospel. Praise God. Praise God. Yes, some people they've been given gifts. They've been given you know uh, you know the intellect, you know, the the mind the, the eloquence and they can preach the gospel better than all of us, many of us. But they cannot preach a better Gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done coming to save us, the forgiveness of sin, that good news, even though we may stutter and we may you know find it hard to, to find the right words, but it is still that same good news we can convey, and so the lesson here is we have been entrusted, yes, we have different gifts, God has given us different. Uh, resources, different abilities, different opportunities, different you know, brain power. But we have to use them faithfully for the master's business. So this is the first two servants. Um, the last servant, Mr. One Bank of Gold, comes and you see what he says? His demeanor is completely different to the other two servants. And I think it's meant, the first two servants is meant to set up the contrast. He comes and he goes, Master, verse 24, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your goal in the ground. Now, this is what is yours. Now, can you see his, his attitude? What's the difference in his attitude compared to the first two servants? There's no delight there's no devotion to the master i mean i think we maybe can understand what this third servant is going through maybe he's thinking oh you give me this this you know this two million dollars and then if i invest it you know any money any money i make is yours but then what if the investments go south and then you will scold me, you, you will whip me, you will beat me up for losing your money. Ah yeah, you know, I, can, I cannot win, uh, you know, sort of thing. So maybe he's thinking, you are a hard man, if I make more money, it's yours anyway, I don't get anything. If I lose the money, you're going to punish me. Okay, so But the master calls his bluff because he says, Okay, okay. even if you are really afraid, even if you're really afraid of you know, losing the money and then get held responsible, Then at least, the master says, verse 26, wicked, lazy servant, you know, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, gather, where I have not scattered seed, well then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest, right, there's no risk. There's no risk of losing. I mean, the capital protected, right? You know, you just invest it, and at least you help fight against inflation a little bit. No, so the master calls the third servant's bluff. Fundamentally, what is missing from the third servant is there is no devotion. No joy in the master's business, no delight in increasing the master's assets. And so the result for him is the bag of gold is taken from him and is given to the one who has ten bags. And then Jesus says, verse 29, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now what does it mean that the The first two servants are given more. What does it mean when the master says, Okay, well done, good and faithful. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. What does it mean that they will now have more responsibility? What does it mean that they will now have more things to look after? Now this is just in the flow of the narrative of this parable. It's it's, it's part of the story that the master has more assets and the faithful servants are given more. But what does it mean for us in the real world? I mean, it means that, I mean, look, like, okay, no one is really sure what exactly it means. Lah. But this is talking about when Jesus returns and the climax, the consummation of the kingdom happens. Those who have been faithful will be given more. But more, more what? More planets? To, you know, to visit more, you know, more angels to command, I mean, like, we don't really need to get into the details, we're not told, just like we're not told what the oi is, you know, in the parable of the ten virgins, you know, is the oi... Good works, you know, the foolish ones didn't have enough good works. Or the oil represents grace, they didn't have enough grace or enough faith. Or the oil represents Holy Spirit, they didn't have enough Holy Spirit. That's why they need to go NTUC to get a top up. Okay, we're not told, it doesn't matter, it's not really about that. But the point that the parables are making is, there may be a delay, and before the master returns, the way to be ready is that with what He has entrusted to us, our resources, time, the energy, the health, the opportunities, the gifts, the financial resources, we are to use this to increase the Master's assets. We are to use it for the Master's business, for the Master's kingdom, for His interests. But so often our decision-making is, oh, you know, this opportunity or this amount of money, like well, our, our instinctive way of thinking is how can I leverage this to increase my assets, to increase you know, my security, my wealth. But the very clear teaching here is the faithful servant, the one who is ready, going to be ready. For when the master returns, it's the one who is thinking not how to leverage it for my interest, but how to leverage what we've been given to increase the master's business for his good. That's a delight, that's a devotion to the master, to the master's things, the master's business. One helpful thing that we must realize is, it is such a pathetic picture for a christian to spend so much time thinking and planning and agonizing about retirement you know cuz you know when retirement comes i no longer have a steady income and okay those those 20 years when I don't have an income. Okay, How am I going to provide for myself in that, in that 20 years? And then, you know, so, you know, those of us who start work and then a bit more mature and realize, hey, okay, that, that day is coming. You know, CPF, you know, don't, don't, don't depend on CPF too much, right? Okay, you know, and then, okay, planning for that 20 years. But we spare so little thought into investing for that eternity. See, our life on earth is like that one dot. It's a flicker and then it's gone. And what will happen after that one dot of our life on earth is a straight line that will go on forever. And that straight line is our life in heaven, if you are a Christian trusting Jesus, that that eternity with Him. And Jesus is here giving us an opportunity, telling us what you have been entrusted with in this life spend it, invest it, think about how to invest into things that will last forever. Only one life that will soon be passed, CT starts it. Only what's done for Christ will last. The faithful servant is the one who is ready, being faithful in serving the Lord Jesus with what we've been given. And then the third parable telling us what it means to be ready. The third parable is focusing on the point when the dot transitions into the straight line. The moment the dot that that, that dot is a flicker, it will come to an end before you know it. That transition from the dot to the straight line, okay, that's what the third parable is about. And uh, the third parable, helpfully I think we can see, has four parts. Jesus tells us four things, there is four stages to it. He tells us about his return, Okay, that's why it's it's that transition point, he will return. And when he returns, there will be a separation, there will be a division of every single person who has ever lived into two different lines. Okay, so he will return, there will be a separation, and he will make a declaration. And then after that, the fourth thing that happens in this parable is the final judgment is executed. Okay, So let's look at uh, the fourth thing. So he will return. So it says, verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. See that? Uh, in, in a parable, you know, about the bridegroom coming, about the master returning. Well, now he says it plainly the Son of Man, he will come in his glory, he will return, and the angels will come, you know, in a, in a procession, and he will sit on his throne, he will reign, and he will judge. And all the nations, everyone who has ever lived will be separate into two lines. One on his right. Okay, so good on you, the people who sit on this side. You get to play the sheep you know, in, in this story. So the sheep, and then all, the others on his left, they are the, the goats. Okay, so the separation will take place. And then the third thing that happens in this parable is Jesus will give a declaration. And in his declaration, he will explain what makes the difference between those on the right and those... Why were some ending up here and why were some ending up here? So in his declaration, he gives the explanation. So he says, verse 34, says to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink I was a stranger and you invited me in I needed clothes and you clothed me I was sick and you looked after me I was in prison and you came to visit me now that's the reason why the sheep are on this side why some people are on this side and people have looked at this parable and they have named many many different social justice ngo groups after this parable okay you just search the internet there are many matthew 25 uh you know micro lending fund you know matthew 25 uh, water well drilling fund you know that, you know because the interpretation that people have come and taken from this parable is Jesus is talking about this acts of kindness, these, you know, generosity, you know, looking after the poor, the marginalised, the hungry, the sick, you know, regardless of race, language, or religion. Okay, but I think it is quite clear that when Jesus says, in verse forty, "Truly I tell you, whatever you did," for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So, I think it's quite clear, right? Jesus is not talking about you know anyone who is poor, anyone who is hungry, anyone who is in prison. And then you look after them, and then, okay, you get to be on the sheep line. He's clearly talking about those who are his brothers and sisters, those who are the least, you know, the little ones. He's clearly talking about disciples he's clearly talking about other christians so the thing that distinguished sheep from the goats is that the sheep loved cared for were willing to go the extra mile were willing to self-sacrificially love and serve other christians Now, okay, I mean, there are a few things in the parable that, that makes it sound like, hey, salvation by works, man. Right, you know, because I've done this, and then I get, you know, because I, I, I invited, you know, the Bible study group, and have potluck in my home, <laughs> I get to be in heaven, you know. Like, okay, it, it sounds like salvation by works, okay, but the principle is that uh, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So, you know, loads and loads and loads of passages make it very clear that salvation is by grace through faith. Okay, so this cannot contradict it. Okay, so later we'll think about um, what's, what's the dynamic at play. But you see, let's be clear, Jesus is talking about the love and the care shown to other Christians. Now the takeaway from us is not, okay, okay, wow, well, I want to make sure I'm in the sheep line. So, okay, you know, at breakfast time, you start serving food to you know, other people, or you say, hey, um, you know, uh, what are you doing next Saturday? Come to my house, you know, come on an empty stomach, you know, come. On, I want to feed you. You know, the the thing to do is not then to just, you know, quickly find ways to serve and to love, and then, hey, uh, anyone in prison, you know, anyone who's hungry, anyone need clothes, you know, uh, then you, you know, to guarantee that you're on the sheep line. Okay, the reason for that is because. In verse 37, the righteous, those who are in the, the sheep line, they will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? See, you see their response is, hey, I, I didn't know. I didn't know I was serving you. I was just doing it. I was just doing it because there was a love, there was a care, there was a genuine commitment to other Christians. They weren't doing it for this. Now the goats are the ones who haven't done this and I want to focus on uh, what will happen to them. You see in verse 46, it says they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. Final Judgment will be executed. Now you notice that in these three parables, the the description, the consequence of those who are shut out, those who are not ready, those who are not faithful, those who are found in the wrong line, that description intensifies. Right? From the five, five foolish bridesmaids who are just shut out. And then, when you come to the the one with the one bag, we are told in verse 30 that he is thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping, gnashing of teeth. But then you come to the last parable, it says clearly, they will go away to eternal punishment. And then verse 41, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels see this is jesus teaching and jesus teaching about the reality of hell And i don't be honest with you this is the the part of the passage where i struggle with most like really believing about what jesus teaches here about hell now it's not that I don't believe it, but you know really believing the words of Jesus here so that it makes a difference. So that in my thinking, in my decision making, in you know, in, in how I live my life, you know, how I see the world that that, that, that the reality of hell makes a bigger difference to my life. Now, Jesus is the one okay, who, in the New Testament, teaches the most about hell. Okay? What Jesus teaches about hell is more than everyone else combined. Okay, so, this is not something that you know, the Apostle Paul made up or you know, to scare people into salvation. No, this is something that our Lord, Jesus himself, taught and taught the most about. And here in this passage it is very clear that this punishment, this rebelling against God, the punishment of not being ready is an eternal punishment. Now some you know Bible scholars they've tried to soften this, you know, where they say, Oh, you know, the darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, you know, you're thrown into the fire. Okay, the fire will burn up the sinners and then it'll be no more. You know, So basically trying to say that hell is, it will, it will be bad, it will be painful, but there will be an end point. But you look at the last verse, you see that the word eternal is used. So in the same way that the righteous will have eternal life, you know that, what happens after that one dot of our time on earth, that, that line that will continue forever. For those who are righteous, for those who have put uh, put their trust in Christ, saved by grace through faith, that line that will go on forever is in heaven, in a new creation, in the presence of God, enjoying all the blessings, all the inheritance He has prepared for His people. That line that will go on forever. But those who are cast into eternal punishment, it's that same line that will go on forever, but cast away. You know, the picture is of the one who is not devoted to God, does not delight in God, you know, doesn't want God running his life. And so the, the, the picture is God saying, okay, okay, you don't want my presence, you don't want me, you don't want me in your life, then okay, depart away. But to be away To be cut off, to be outside of the presence of the God who is life and love and joy. I mean, it is the worst thing that can happen to a human being. To be cut off from that. And so, God is saying, hell is giving what sinners have been asking for all their lives. And it is an eternal Punishment. C.H. Spurgeon put it this way: After ten thousand years of the fires of hell, he said, "Oh, how long more? How long more?" And then the answer will be, "It's not even begun." And the good news of Christianity: What makes Christianity unique? is that Jesus, Son of God, sinless, completely devoted to His Father, completely delighted, completely obedient, completely faithful, that judgment, that, that penalty that His people deserved, He has borne it. He has borne that judgment so that His people by grace, through faith, accepting this gift of salvation, can have life eternal, can enjoy the inheritance prepared by the Father. So that's why in the parable of the master going away, he gives and entrusts his assets to his servants. Actually, the word there is to his slaves. And if, You and I have come to trust in Christ. You and I, we have been purchased. Purchased by the precious blood of Christ. We are no longer ours to live for ourselves. We belong to Him. We've been purchased. And so the the first two servants who eagerly devoted and delight in, that is, you know, yes, because, you know, This is the master who is good, this is a master who has who has bought us, who loves us. We we are owned by this master who is good. It's that sort of attitude. And it's that sort of attitude that, yes, you know, the reason why we will self sacrificially love other Christians. You know, serve those, give money to those in a persecuted church. Think about how we can leverage our resources to love and to care. It's because we see them as these are Jesus' people. These are the brothers and sisters of Jesus, the one who has borne my penalty for me, the one who I belong to now because His precious blood has purchased me and all that I have to be lived for the one who gave Himself for me. And then you know what? If we do that, end of the day, if we do what as servants we're supposed to do anyway at the end of the day we still will receive from the Master well done end of the day we will still be rewarded by the Master for doing what we're supposed to do anyway well done good and faithful servant Friends, only one life to live that will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You live for the well done of the people here. You live for the well done of your boss. You live for the well done of your friends who go, wow, you know you've done well. You live for the well done of... It's not going to last. Live for the well done of when you see the one who gave his life for you, the well done that will last forever. Let's live for that well done. Well done. There's nothing better. There's nothing more we should want to hear than at the end of the day to hear our Lord. Yes, you know that. You know, yes, you can't sing, yes, you know, you, your brain power not very strong, yes, you know, your health not very good, yes, you had all this, you know, illness, you know, but, but what I entrusted to you, the friends that I gave you, the context that you had, the opportunity, okay, yes, well done, good, faithful servant, nothing better than to hear that. May God help us to yearn and to live for that. Amen.